In the following live session recording, Marty Godfrey, Executive Pastor, Burnt Hickory Baptist Church in Powder Springs, Georgia, shares the top five things every Sunday school teacher needs to know. Often a Sunday school teacher tries to do it all and sometimes just shows up to teach. This session addresses a few things that every Sunday school teacher needs to know that will move him or her from being just a good teacher to an exceptional teacher of an exceptional class. Let's join Marty now. I used to work with a phone company, so, um, and worked with them a number of years. And we used to have different operations down we, in uh, Jessup and a number of places down in this area too. And uh, so anyway, God called me uh, after about 16, 17 years with, so I've got an, like an MBA in finance, but he called me into vocational ministry. So I went to uh, Eastside Baptist in Marietta. It's Minister of Education and Church Growth. And then after seven years, Burnt Hickory called me as executive pastor. So I've been there 15 years. So um, when I was uh, in business, I was like a deacon officer and on the finance committee and a Sunday school teacher and all of those things on, on the lay leader side, like many of you are. And then uh, all of a sudden I went to the other side, the pastoral side. Went back to seminary and stuff, but uh, so we are. Th- Becky and I, I love teaching Sunday school. We still teach a young couples class, so these are some of the ones in our our class. And um, I believe that God wants me to pour into younger adults in this season of my life. So we really enjoy that a lot. Um, I think on my tombstone, I want like Sunday school teacher on there because I've been doing it for so long and I, I love it. I, that's, that's really my first line ministry is being engaged with that. This is Burnt Hickory and um, so God has been good to us. We've, um, the 15 years I've been there, we've more than doubled and God has really blessed us. So, uh, but anyway, I, uh, I met you guys and got to know a little bit about you. So I've got a mixture, I've got some of you, I've got one senior pastor, anybody else senior pastor? And then I've got some Sunday school directors. Who are my Sunday school directors? All right, fantastic. And then Sunday school teachers. Okay. And then some are going to be teaching uh, this fall, I was told. And now these, a lot of what we'll talk about is going to lend itself more to adult Sunday school classes. I hope that's okay with you ladies. They have uh, taught different age groups and are now going to be working in in preschool. But, um, hey, give me a little nugget, like uh, many of y'all have taught a long time. Uh, give me one thing you think uh, that a Sunday school teacher needs to know. Jesus. Jesus. This is a, this is a, a church, a Sunday school-related class. It's just like the, um, the children's class that the teacher asks what's grayish brown and fuzzy, has a fuzzy tail and stores nuts for winter. And, they wouldn't answer, and finally one kid said, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a squirrel to me. So, <laughs> Jesus is always a safe answer when it comes to Sunday school. <laughs> but yeah, they need to know Jesus. What else? Give me one, one need tidbit. To need to what? Know your students. Ooh, need to know the folks in your class. You know Very them good. Well. Very know them well. I like it. Somebody got another tidbit? You need to know the Bible. You need to know the Word. That's right. Be a student of the Word yourself. 
That's right. That's good. That's good. Oh, amen. Amen. I was telling somebody Wednesday night that, uh, and, and many of y'all are ahead of me a little bit in your parenting, but like the older my kids get, um, the more I learn that the, the more time I just spend on my knees because it's like you're always a parent. There's always things going on in your life, whether it's with your kids, your grown kids, or your aging uh, parents, Becky and I. Uh, we lost her dad a couple months ago and moved her mother into assisted living. And so uh, my mother uh, had a bit of a stroke, so I have caregivers up there. In fact, I talked to her on the way up here. And because mother's the one that really, daddy was, I, I love Sunday school directors. Daddy was, well, I, I grew up in a small church. Uh, on a good Sunday, we ran 100. And daddy was a Sunday school director, longtime Sunday school director. And mother played either the piano or the organ. She and Pug Quintrell, I think, swapped years that they played uh, either instruments. But um, I was talking to mother on the way up here and, and thanking her for um, raising me uh, in, that, in the church and to love the church and love Sunday school. I've got, I don't know, y'all remember Sunday school attendance pins? Any of y'all still do that? So I got my 13-year perfect attendance pin. Now, Monday night, I was, I was in Gainesville, Georgia, and there was a guy in there who had his 12-year pin. I don't know. Any of y'all have your big, long pin? Yeah, those are great. But uh, Mother, I remember Mother used to, uh, would make a trip to Chattanooga, that was the closest city to us, to go to the Baptist bookstore. And, I mean, we'd buy Herschel Hobbs. She subscribed to Herschel Hobbs' commentary and stuff. And so I got to where I would read the Herschel Hobbs' commentary and uh, so that's a lot of my spiritual uh, formation, actually, was just being a part of Sunday school over the years and just, just loving it. Um, so, but hey, they told me my topic, five things every Sunday school teacher needs to know. So, so I feel like Yoda, you know, Yoda is in Star Wars. Yoda, you know, you went to Yoda and said, oh, tell us what it is. So, so as a result, we are going to talk about the five things. Come on in. Can y'all, can y'all see? Okay, all right, your eyes have to adjust a little bit. We got handouts on the uh, chairs, and we're just getting started, so y'all are in good shape. Come on in. Um, so anyway, you know, to take everything, well, it's actually a good idea just to say, what are five things? Because then it made me prepare like twice as long as I usually do uh, to be doing training. So uh, we're going to get into, now I gave you some handouts. Can y'all see okay with the lights out? I know you can see this better. Is your eyes adjusted where you can see your page? And does anybody need a pen uh, to be able to take notes? Did y'all bring it? Okay. Welcome, welcome, guys. Where y'all from? Swainsboro. Swainsboro? Close by. First Baptist Swainsboro. Great. Good to have you. Shaws. That's right. What do y'all do? What involvement do you have? I'm the pastor. The pastor there? Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. And this is my wife, Angie. Hey. Good to see you. I'm Marsh. Great. We got folks from all over. Anybody else want them? All righty. Here you go. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? All right. Well, here, let's buckle down. I'm going to go through some things. And, uh, okay, so five things. Now, I'm going to tell you all five. You don't have to write them down yet. And then we'll start with number one. That's when we can start taking notes, okay? All right, so here we go. Number one. It's not all about me as a teacher, okay? Hang on to that. Secondly, it's not all about me teaching my lesson. Third, it's not all about me developing my teaching points. 
I was asking Becky, I said, Becky, let me run this by you. And she said, man, that sounds awfully negative to me. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's just to get people's attention. It's not really negative. It's going to be very positive, okay? Number four, it's not even all about Sunday morning. So that's blasphemous around my house. Growing up, like, it didn't matter if I had prom Saturday night or what I had. I had to be there Sunday morning. In fact, to do that perfect attendance pin on vacation, we stopped at some crazy churches that I had to go to Sunday school to <laughs> to get that thing going. And the Sunday school all over. Okay. Well, let's take a look. So what do I mean? And this is where your notes pick up. It's not all about me as the teacher. What does that mean? Well, there's a passage in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. To me, that is the most violated scripture in the world by pastors. Since being a pastor, I see pastors violating the scripture. And, uh, and, and it's, uh, so it also applies to you, though. So what is that scripture? If you can't pull that one off the top of your head... It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, you, to equip his people for works of service. Now, how do you think that I see a pastor or a Sunday school teacher violating that scripture? Do what? Not equipping. Okay. They have other people. What? They have other people trying to train their people instead of them. They do or don't? They do. So it says, so Christ himself Mm -hmm. did this. Christ didn't say, hey, go over there and tell him this is what I want you to do. Christ did it himself. Okay, he did. Well, that is exactly right. Christ was the example. He did it. And then He gave us that challenge to do the same. So what I find out, though, is that many pastors, many Sunday school teachers, try to do everything themselves. And then what we do is we complain that nobody else will do anything. And so we go on a pity party. So it's kind of a a two-edged thing there. On one respect, you know, you like to do everything because that's like doing ministry and it feels good. But on the other hand, you feel sorry for yourself because you're doing all of it. And, uh, and, and, and basically God says, well, listen, I mean, that's not the way I designed it. You're not supposed to do all of it. You're, in fact, if you look at it, it's not about me as a teacher. My job is to give the ministry away. Okay, that's a huge principle. Because it seems so much easier if I, the teacher, kind of do things. Or the pastor. You know what the worst one is? I had a a Gerald Harris. Many of y'all know him. He was my first pastor I reported to on the east side when I went into ministry. And we were driving around Cobb County. We drove in front of this uh, church. And um, he said... Yeah, that's why missionaries have a hard time when they come back as a pastor to grow the church. And I said, what do you mean? He said, see that guy mowing the grass? That's the pastor of the church. And uh, he said, you know, the missionaries are such servant-hearted 
that they think they're doing good. They're saving the church money. They're keeping other people, having to ask other people to do it. But in so doing, then really they're not equipping people and the church will not grow or your class will not grow if you don't engage others in ministry. More importantly, it is sinful. It's wrong. It's against scriptures if you are not equipping other people to do the ministry. Okay? Like I'm teaching this young couples class. We, uh, I got two guys in there. One of them's a mission, missionary kid, an MK. Um, but they're, they're good teachers. They're in their early 30s. And so I'm developing them, and I'm giving them opportunities to teach. And so, like, the last two weeks, I've had one of them teach. And, and it's hard for me to sit in the class. It's hard for me to sit in the class because I'm a better teacher than they are. And uh, since I'm there, why am I not just teaching? Well, because I am developing them, I'm equipping them, and the fact that I'm there and don't just ask them to do it when I'm out of town, I'm affirming them. And I can pour into them as they do that. So we must uh, almost force ourselves to. Here's what God says, that if you do that, if you equip the people for the works of service, it says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, unless we engage them in ministry, we're actually stunting their growth, their spiritual growth. They'll not continue to grow. In fact, I guarantee you, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before class started how you get people to read their lesson or whatever. I tell you, you can start getting them, ask them to teach one week. And then they'll live with that lesson all week. And, uh, and they'll have a problem because they'll be overprepared and they'll have too much material when they teach. And then they'll, they'll go way longer than they should have. But you start engaging people in the ministry. That's God's principle, okay? So, not all about me as a teacher. My job is to give the ministry away. That's number one, all right? Let's look at number two. Well let, me, well, let me ask a couple of questions. So, I want you to ask yourself, how many in my class have I equipped to teach? Uh, how many people have you equipped to teach? When I was at the phone company, there was this one guy that I worked with. He prided himself that um, he was my, I think he was, when I was younger, he was my, he was my um, uh, district manager. And, uh, but Tom prided himself that he had more guys serving as district managers and division managers in the company than any other district manager. And he saw that the, what he needed to do was to help his people live out and be all they could be. And that was success for him. So one of our keys of success is not how much Bible knowledge your people know. The Pharisees were stocked full of Bible knowledge and it did them more harm than good. So that is not our target is to do that. Okay. The other one involves something and I don't know how many of y'all know about care groups or have care groups? A few? Okay, so here's the deal. Like uh, my church growing up, we didn't know what those were because we had deacon family ministry. How many of y'all have deacon family ministry? Okay. Well, 
like, uh, so what happens is we usually kind of left the ministry up to the ministering to the people, to the senior pastor or to the deacons. We felt like that was their, their responsibility other than the people's families. And so what happened is it just made Sunday school just a teaching time because other people did the ministry. Well, as churches have grown, they find that the deacons can't handle all the people assigned to them, like my mother. She is, uh, she's an invalid, and so the church um, that, we're, that we're part of now, First Baptist there, um, I don't even think, one year she had a deacon who visited her to her maybe three times during these, the year. This year, I'm, I don't even know who her deacon is. I don't know that he's ever reached out. So it's just hit or miss. Um, what care groups involve is when you have your Sunday school class, and if, there's, if you have just four or five people, it's giving someone else in the class responsibility for caring for the class. Now, as the size of the class grows, you increase the number of care groups. So that each care group, if you're doing like a women's class, it's either four or five people per care group. If it's a couples class, it's four or five couples per care group leader. And so what you're doing is you're asking them to build relationships, to stay in touch, to be a prayer partner. When something happens, if someone's sick, has a baby, whatever, they're the ones that go to the class and they say, hey, we're going to get meals together to take to, to whomever the person is. And so they are helping coordinate the care. That's how, as churches, like when I first came to Atlanta, so I grew up in church, 100 was good, a high, high watermark for us. Came into Atlanta and I thought, I don't want to go to a big church. I want to go to a little church. Went to little churches. I left. Nobody even introduced themselves to me oftentimes. Nobody called me. I went to, like at the time, Eastside. It was during their big growth years in the 80s. I went there and then the pastor called me, senior pastor called me, like two hours later. And then that week, a couple of folks from the choir visited me because. Um, I checked that I'd had some music experience and stuff. And then later I got a contact from my Sunday school class, the new, newlywed class, invited me to that. And I'm like, wow, I thought I'd get lost in the shuffle with a larger church. Well, what I found out is many times God will bless larger ch or churches because they pay attention to detail. And because of that, then they grow because they stay in touch with the people. So I know churches that run 100 that do a poor job of staying in touch with every member. And I know churches that run 1,000 that do a fabulous job because every person in their church is assigned to a, to a Sunday school class and every person in a Sunday school class is assigned to a care group who is getting weekly contacts so they know what's going on. So those are a couple of ways you can multiply yourselves is by developing other teachers, by developing care group leaders, and let me, boy, that'll light up the whole room, huh? It must have gotten cloudy outside or something. I noticed it turned over. So, uh, this is just one way you can kind of organize a class um, where you always need, if you're a teacher, always have a, an apprentice or a co-teacher, somebody who's also teaching. You never need to be the only teacher. You always need to have somebody teaching with you because you're equipping them. I have an admin here, and then I've got like an outreach leader, a care leader, ministry care, member care, and a fellowship leader. I'll talk a little bit more in a minute why.
uh, we look at that, okay? And, uh, but this is where, like, as you grow, you continue to develop care group leaders. You can uh, continue to give away and get people involved in ministry. Uh, grow it where there's a men's, uh, women, a missions. This is what I do at the, the church where I am now. I try to find enough ministry positions to involve everybody in the class. For example, if uh, when I got in here, I wanted the room set up a little bit differently than it was. Not that it was bad. I just prefer a little bit different feel to try to engage people. So it took me a while to set it up. I found that uh, some of the folks in my Sunday school class, some of the guys, their spiritual gifts, not being up in front of people, teaching and so forth. But if I ask them to help get there a little bit early, make sure the room is set up, they love to do it that's engaging to them, and they will actually be more consistent in their attendance because they have responsibility. So, look at opportunities um, to engage people. Number two, it's not all about teaching my lesson. It's not all about teaching my lesson. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, anybody know what Acts chapter 2 is? You Bible students, what happens in Acts chapter 2? It's a landmark event in the life of the church. Pentecost happens, okay? And there was a great sermon preached at Pentecost. Who preached it? Peter. Peter preached it. It was a bold proclamation of the gospel. And, uh, and as a result, how many came to receive Christ and was baptized? 3,000 people. Now, this was the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. I'll tell you why. It's a Baptist church. Well, well, number one, he gave a public invitation. Okay. Number two, they counted how many came forward so they could turn it in on their annual church profile. So it really counted. I mean, does the baptism really count if you don't turn it in on your, average, uh, on your annual church profile? Some of y'all don't know what an annual church profile is. Others of you who've been around Baptist circles do, okay? So that's the numbers that count for your church. Uh, so that's the second reason. Now, the third reason, they baptized them by immersion. Baptizio in the Greek means to dunk or to immerse. So they baptized those. But all of a sudden, this was also the first mega church. 3,000. So what do you think happened when they had 120 believers, here they are, Peter preaches his message, gives the invitation, 3,000 people. Well, what do you think those 120 believers did? You know, they were hiding out. They were scared before this. You know, all of a sudden, they, they start organizing things. I mean, they had to. It's like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? I don't know. I don't know. I've never seen this many people. You know, it's always been just us and we know each other. You know, what do we do with all these people? And I'm like, okay, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. How about, you know, out of us, we live different places around Jerusalem. Uh, how, about, how about we check with these guys and kind of see where they live. And then what we can do is we, will, we can invite them over to people's houses. Uh, how about that? How about that? And, and we'll, we'll promise that we'll, we'll have food. It's another reason it's Baptist Church, as we'll see. They had fried chicken. This was, this was actually the first time Sunday school was begun. And it, it was it was literally it was small groups. Now small groups can be in people's homes or it can be on campus. Southern Baptists we've had a lot of success with on-campus small groups. Call them Sunday school. But listen, if I when I went down to Kenya earlier this year and trained pastors down there, 
you know, those guys, they are not blessed to have a facility. They don't have an education facility. I mean, they only have a facility, much less an education facility. So many times, small groups in people's homes, it is uh, actually, they did it. That was the first, first church did that in Jerusalem because they didn't have a building to meet in. They'd meet in the temple courts periodically, but they didn't. But that was the first time we saw small groups begun in the Bible. Okay? So we learned from that how the role that small groups or Sunday schools play. Okay? So hang with me. Let's look at the scripture. What did they do after they were baptized? It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread to prayer. Here, breaking of bread uh, refers to, as theologians believe, it, it means uh, the Lord's Supper. So when they were together, the apostles taught. They had, they had uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are our um, two ordinances, okay? And to prayer. Now, everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were taking place. And it says that they were all together, had everything in common to the point where they sold property and possessions to give to anybody in, in there that had need. Every day they kept meeting together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, not just the saved people, but the lost people started looking to see what was going on. And the Lord added to their number how often? Daily, those who were being saved. It wasn't weekly when they came together. It was daily the Lord was bringing people to Christ. From this, so get the picture. So what happens is they divided up the 3,000. They started getting together at people's homes. They had food, and that's where the fellowship came in. They got to build relationships with people that they had never met before. And all of a sudden, now they have in common this relationship with Christ. As they were doing that, they got to know each other. And then all of a sudden here, Joe, you know, they, they were doing prayer requests. And Joe said, guys, I, you know, I hurt. I, uh, I'm a carpenter by trade and I hurt myself the other day. And I'm just out of commission for a while. And uh, so we're short on what it takes to put food on the table. And so somebody else that was sitting over here said, well, that ought not be. I mean, we ought to do something about that. And you know, so they said, well, I don't have any money. Do you have any money? I don't have any money. Do you have any money now? They said, well, and somebody said, hey, I've got, I got something I could sell, and we could take that and give to them. That'll help get them over until it gets better and on the job. So all of a sudden, not only did fellowship start happening, but ministry started happening, not in the large group, not by the apostles, but in the small groups. That's where ministry started being identified and took place. Okay? It was also a result of what was going on in people's homes that they began having favor with all the people in the community. They started sharing with other people what Christ had made a difference in their lives. They were seeing people saved. They weren't just saying, okay, guys, go out, let's go. And listen, I love visitation. I, I, I've done visitation years and years and years. But they didn't say, okay, guys, we're just going to go out door to door and we're going to invite them to come hear the apostle teach this week. No, and then, and then they're going to pray that when the apostle gives the invitation that their buddy is going to come forward and give his life to Christ. No, that's not what it was about. It wasn't, just, it wasn't the job of the apostle. It was, it was their opportunity 
to make a difference in people's lives. See, we have a different paradigm. We think it's the preacher's job to get people saved. It's the preacher's job to go make visits and get people in here. You know, it's like, hey, my Sunday school class would love to welcome some visitors. We just don't have any visitors. You know, if the preacher would do his job, we'd start getting some visitors in our class. And then we could grow, be healthy, right? The problem of the preacher. Let's get that preacher on the stick. How long has that preacher been here now? He hadn't even visited my mother yet. Hey, listen, keep, yeah, keep your head down, okay? He's keeping his head down there. Amen. 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 That's sorry, preacher. Yeah. And here before long, we're going to get up enough cases on him. We're going to run him off. Yeah. Because, you know, he's just not doing his job. He's not doing the ministry. Well, what we find from there is that uh, it's agreed that in this passage, a healthy church, the First Baptist Church of, of Jerusalem, had... You have five functions that exist in your church. Now, you may be good at some, bad at others, or you may be sorry at all of them. I don't know. <laughs> but there are five functions that go on in the church. Now, here's my question. How many of these, of these functions get done when you're meeting in the big worship service with the preacher versus how many you do in your Sunday school class? How many of these do you do in, in, through Sunday school? According to Scripture. All of them. Really, all of them? You could make a case that this may be corporate worship. And, uh, of course, the class that meets in here. I got the hymnals back there to prove it. They sing here. So, yeah, worship can very well happen in the, in the Sunday school classes. But primarily, we come together with the senior pastor for a corporate time of worship, and he preaches the Word as well. So there is a level of teaching that goes along with that. But listen, in the Sunday school class, these four things happen in the Sunday school class. These things do not happen in big worship. They have, you're responsible for them. Preacher's not responsible for them. You're responsible for them. Here's the problem, though. You're putting all your time into teaching, and you're ignoring these, many of us are. When really, the pastor's already started out teaching, so they don't, they don't need another hour of you teaching. They just heard the pastor's 40 minutes. How long does your preacher preach? 23 minutes? 23 minutes. Y'all keep him on a short leash, don't you? He says this. He does, okay. <laughs> Is that right? He's got to make it work. He's got to make it work because we got to go beat the Methodists to lunch today. That's right. He goes long. We ain't going to make it in line. How long do you preach? Uh, I, I. Oh, okay. We no. know. Yeah. If it takes him that long, we know. 33 minutes. We track 33. Because we track every 33 minutes. We know exactly. Let's give the brother a hand. 33 minutes. To nail 33 minutes, he's an amazing guy. 23 minutes is really amazing. Maybe it's 26. 23, 26. That's Okay. All right. Well, listen. Listen. Exactly. We track it. We track it all. I, we know exactly how long the announcement lasts, how long the music lasts. No, we do too. I mean, you, you, I mean, you should. You should. You got to pay attention to the details. We do too. I can tell you exactly how long our pastor, <laughs> we, senior we, pastor, we did last week. That's right. That's right. I have a report on my head. That's right. <laughs> From the chairman of the deacons, right? Yeah, with a red circle around it. Okay, but listen. If if your Sunday school was all about teaching then let's just can you, let's get the preacher to come in because he's more equipped than you are to teach. So let's just, you know, quit worrying about it. Get him in. That way we, he can teach the big group and then he can come and teach your group if it's all about teaching. 
And you know, one of the things we say, well, but it's about the Word of God. Well, it is about the Word of God. But listen, ministry and growth and discipleship cannot happen without fellowship, ministry, and caring outside of the group that's meeting in this room. It's got to happen, and it is not going to happen in the worship service. It's going to happen in yours, and you better embrace it. You know, it's you. You better embrace it. You're responsible for that. So really, I think that we do us wrong, me included. Well, I mean, I say me because I was a Sunday school teacher before I was a pastor. By calling us a teacher. Because by calling me a teacher, it means that my role is to teach. In reality, your role is more of like a lay pastor. If you think about it, you are the closest thing to a pastor. I'll never forget. I was teaching. At, I, I was at Eastside, and then I went to Snellville First Baptist. I went there when it was a little church, and then while I was there, we went through four building programs and quadrupled and had a thousand baptisms going each year. It was, it was amazing. And, and I was teaching, and, we, and it was just a great thing to happen. But um, I will never forget except where I was going with that point. And I just forgot it. I got sidetracked thinking about those years. Of, uh, that was great. Does anybody remember the line I said going into that? It's just a test in listening, how well you're listening. You were talking about changing the role, changing the name. Being yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, I'll never forget somebody in that class, young couples class, and I was like early 30s at the time, they had a baby born, and, and, and he lived two weeks, and they asked me to do the graveside service. And I'm like, I'm not a pastor. I'm just somebody that teaches your Sunday school class. And they're like, and God started working on me. He said, Marty, listen, you're more than that, man. You're pouring into these guys. You're, you're, they don't know the senior pastor necessarily to the level they know you because you're, you're, show, you're pouring into their lives. You're checking on them during the week, and they have that relationship with you. And I'm like, man, that's a big responsibility. And God was like, yeah, it is. I mean, that's what ministry is. So listen, guys, you're a minister. I was a minister before I went into vocational ministry. You're already a minister. You're just not getting paid for it. Now I get paid for it. You know, the church, the, the pastor's joke from that one. Okay. It says, yeah, I get paid to do ministry now. You're good for nothing. Okay. That's a pastor joke. Okay. Just thought I'd throw that one in. It didn't go over well. Okay. Let's so. <laughs> so listen, if teaching is not what Sunday morning is all about, and it's not, it's not, then... How should you structure your class time on Sunday mornings? How long do y'all have for Sunday school? An hour? Okay. An hour? Some have 45 minutes and, and most have an hour. It's kind of what I've found in training folks. Okay. So I've found that you have to, if you equip other people to do parts of the ministry, and those other parts are important, in fact, just as important as your teaching. Because if people come into your class and they don't develop and they're newer, if they don't develop a friend within three weeks, statistics say they're gone. You lost them. You don't even have a chance to teach them. You may have taught the greatest lesson on earth for those three weeks when they came, 
but they didn't make one friend, and as a result, you no longer have the opportunity to teach them because of that. So here's something. I actually learned this for the first time from my buddy, uh, Alan Taylor. Some of y'all know Alan from First Baptist Woodstock. But um, uh, here's what Alan always espoused. And he, he did this at Woodstock. They had a little bit of success up there. But like out of the hour... Uh, this is a way you can break it down. The first 15 minutes is fellowship time. How do you increase fellowship time? If people come in, sit down, don't know each other, what are things you can do? Ask about them. Ask about them. Get it going. Give me something else. What? Name tags. Name tags. Excellent. They don't know each other? Get name tags. I'm surprised a solid group of Baptists like y'all couldn't come up with the number one survey response. Coffee and food. Okay, there you go. Feed them. So get a table and put some food on it. It's bound to get them up and to get out of there and then they're in line with somebody or they're bumping elbows with them and they're embarrassed if they don't say something to them. So increase the effort of your fellowship time. Name tags are great because if there's somebody they don't know, they can kind of check it out and see who they are. So fellowship, first 15 minutes. Now, how many of y'all, you go into announcements and prayer time? How many of you, you have that person in your class during prayer time? <laughs> that person. And you know, when they start to share their prayer request, that is going to go on and on and on and on. And you're looking at your watch thinking, I'm not going to have time to teach my lesson. And I prepared a lot this week, and I'm not going to have time. What am I going to do about it? And whoever's doing your prayer, if you're doing your prayer, you shouldn't be doing it. You should have somebody else leading that. That's another way you can equip somebody. You're thinking, why don't they cut her off? Why don't they wait on her to take a breath and then say, anybody else got a prayer request? Yeah, well, here's what happens. Is that, how about this? You start and you give your outreach leader an opportunity to say something, whether it is something related to the church, that what the church is doing, your class is doing. It may even be a thought around Christmas time of how you can impact your neighbors around you, a way that maybe you could make them a goodie and include like a devotional in there or something to make an impact. So you give your outreach leader a time on Sunday morning, prime time, then you make your announcements from the church or class or whatever it may be, then you go into your teaching time and take 30 minutes. How, how long do y'all teach right now? 30 minutes? 25, 30 minutes? Okay, good. Some of y'all who didn't say anything, y'all go longer than a preacher does. Y'all go 40 minutes. You're just too ashamed to say it. The bell rings twice before you're released. <laughs> now listen to this. So what you do is you finish up and then you break into care groups. And you do prayer time in your care groups. Now again, I have small church and big church experience. Uh, these principles can work. They're scalable whether it's small or little. If you're running five people in your class, then you give it off to your, your member care leader to lead that time of... Uh, and if you have more than that, you split into those and you let them share prayer requests and pray together. And what that does, number one, it lifts up the importance and the role of the care group leader. 
that lay leader who is doing heading up the caring with their people, it provides a level of accountability because now they're going to be there. If they're not there, they need to develop an assistant, a helper who does help it. And then as you break up into that, that even your members know when you break up into there, if they're not there, they're going to be missed out of that group because they're building relationships. And then what you do is you can uh, then have them just write down the, the, what the prayer requests were. You can have somebody in your class responsible for taking those, piecing them together, taking a picture with their phone, emailing them out to the class so that everybody has all the prayer requests. And then you didn't take as much time to do the prayer request. You got more prayer requests that you can, and you got them in writing where you can pray for them during the week. And you're equipping all those people to know how to do front line of ministry. My first ministry position was a care group leader at Eastside in 1983. That's my very first, I didn't know what a care group leader was. It went out of my comfort zone because I had to call these couples during the week, build relationships with them, but it was a good stretch. Any, Jesus always was stretching his apostles and disciples, stretching them to get involved with ministry. So uh, Alan Taylor started this. I, uh, I, I then started training it more. I started using it more. And it is awesome what it does to a class. In fact, if you have like one, now if you have less than an hour, we'll trim it down. You can take less than 15 minutes on that. You can take 10 minutes on that. You can start weaving things down. And then uh, Alan Taylor took it one step further. The software that he used actually allowed his care group leaders to take attendance up in the care, in the care group. You could be really cruel in your, in, your care group, uh, in your care groups when you break off, and you could just look to see who's not there, and everybody could get out their cell phone, and on the count of three, they could all text the person at the same time. Now. To ask them if they were still in bed or if they had a legitimate reason for not being there. <laughs> <I got that. laughs> but hey, you know, the whole thing is about communication. We have so many tools now. It's in, and it's getting people in your class involved with it. As they do, you, you well, you're fulfilling scripture. That's what you're doing. You're equipping people for the ministry. Pretty cool. All right, let's look at uh, number three. It's not all about developing my teaching points. How many of y'all love to prepare your lesson? Nobody, huh? Okay, a few. Well, that's good. Okay. I love it. You usually over-prepare, don't you? So, um, it's, and here, so, it's not all about developing my teaching points. It is all about developing my teaching questions. Do you want me to try to turn the lights back on for you? Would that be helpful? Okay, because I don't want y'all to fall asleep and miss some of the best stuff. Okay, now close your eyes. It's going to really be bright. Okay, there we go. You can still see it. The fonts are large enough, I think, where you can see it. Okay, so it's not about developing my teaching points. It's about developing my teaching questions. I want us to talk about that. Here are reasons to ask questions. Number one, it breaks the monotony of your lecture. The number one complaint I get as uh, when people go and visit Sunday school classes is that 90% of you lecture. You prepare a lesson and you lecture. You talk too much. Number two, and I've never been to your class, so I don't know who I'm talking to. You may not. Okay, number two, it forces people to think when you ask questions. 
Number three, it breeds engagement. It gets them involved, which is really what you want. It helps them to internalize the lesson. It makes me a better teacher. And it helps people become independent learners. Yes, sir? You're hitting on a hard point right here. Okay. Um, engaging yes. is the hard part. It is. You have great questions. Yes. And you can ask the question. Yes. And I'm one of those, I think probably most of us are, after a few seconds of silence, yep. there's a, a, a demand, a mandate within me. Well, that's wrong. Because that's where I, that's where I was going to next. Okay, I want y'all to remember from this day forward the rule of five seconds. Okay, I used it just a little while earlier on you guys. What happens is when somebody asks a question, after two to three seconds, all of a sudden it begins being awkward. Most people will jump in at that point, the, te- the one asked the question, will jump in and rescue themselves at that point. What they don't know is if they had waited two seconds longer, someone would have said something. What was the question I asked just a little while ago? And it laid with you guys for five seconds. And yeah, it was, it was something yeah, that, that I'd ask. And I had no response, and it just laid there. Did what? The food. The, was it food? Okay. And I just had to wait. But sure enough, uh, in that question that I remember, I had a couple of people say something at the same time. Five seconds, people will start to respond. The problem is teachers will start answering themselves at three seconds. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yeah, they will. They will. Now, what you do now? If I go, if I go ten seconds, so I will rephrase the question. It means that perhaps the problem that my my question was not clear enough. But if it's clear enough in five seconds, they're going to start answering. There will be an uncomfortableness in the room, and then if you don't jump back in and say, if you jump back in at three seconds. You just told them that you're willing to answer your own questions. And they can just sit there and hush. So next time you ask a question, they're going to wait on you to answer the question again. They're beginning to think it's a rhetorical question, that you're just asking them and then answering them. So you're not teaching them at that point to engage and to jump in. Now, I will say, when you ask questions, you do have to be a better teacher. Because you may get some crazy answers, right? So you have to learn how to... Uh, either affirm or deflect or, or you know, different, different ways of dealing with them. Uh, but I, that's a great question. I was going to go into the rule of five seconds. I can't think of this guy's name. When you get my age, you can't think anyway. But uh, yep. one of Lifeway's writers says, never teach anybody anything you can leave them to learn on their own. Amen to that. Amen. Let me tell you what. The, uh, have y'all ever been through, it's still the best, it's uh, Howard Hendricks, uh, Walk Through the Bible, Bruce Wilkinson came up with it, Seven Laws of the Learner. And um, he talks about the Greek word for teaching means to cause to learn. Teaching is to cause to learn. I was, uh, when I was in business, I was a district manager over Gwinnett County, and so I headed up this committee 
to bring a college in there because we didn't have one. And so we were meeting with Zell Miller and Tom Murphy and, and the Regents and all these guys and then the universities. The guy who was president of Georgia Tech at the time, he was telling us a story that he was trying to change the culture at Tech. He said for forever, during freshman orientation, the uh, whomever, the dean or whomever addressed him said, hey, look to the right of you, look to the person on the left of you. Only one of you will be going to make it. And they took pride with that. And the president of Tech at that time told me, he said, you know, I'm here to change that paradigm. He said, I told the professors that if nobody could pass their class, it wasn't a reflection of the student, it was a reflection of them, the teacher. Because they weren't teaching in a way that was creating learners. And so um, that's really what you're getting at is, and so who is our number one example of asking questions? No doubt about it. I did some discovery in Mark 8, and I just listed it on your handout. You can look at them later. But in that one chapter, he asked about 12 questions. And I listed on your handout some of the uh, things, the ways he was using questions. And it is crazy how he used questions. You have to be so smart to use questions. They would ask him a question, and he would respond with a question. Because he wanted them to internalize, he wanted them to engage, he wanted to make points, and questions do that so much more than me just telling you. If I just tell you something, you may not even hear it. You may be making up what you need to pick up at the grocery store after church or whatever, you know? But questions invoke people into the learning experience. There's a guy named Josh Hunt. Any of you have heard him? He's a Sunday school consultant. He actually has gotten permission from Lifeway to come up with questions on each type of curriculum. And uh, so you can subscribe and pay Josh to mail you every week. He has taken a lot of time, studied the lesson, and come up with relevant, timely questions to be used in teaching. Uh, in fact, I put on your... Um, on your sheet there, and we're not going to do it as a part of here. But let's say you're teaching like Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You know what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is, right? It's about anxiety. Uh, be anxious for nothing, and everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Peace of God surpass, surpass all comprehension, and shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So, you could study all week and give a great lesson on that, but I tell you what. Everybody today in our culture knows anxiety for some reason. I just heard in a sermon this week that the uh, anxiety among our teenagers is at an all-time high. The normative level of, of um, anxiety that our teenagers deal with today exceeds the threshold from 1951 for people to be admitted into the state uh, mental hospital. The normative level of anxiety among today's teenagers exceeds the 1951 threshold to get into Milledgeville back in the day. That's crazy, isn't it? The, the top drugs, pharmaceuticals right now, they all deal with anxiety, depression, so forth. So if I'm teaching this, tell you what, 
if you come up and spend your time on well-crafted, thought-provoking questions, and let's just say that Sunday, you're not even going to teach. You're going to break them into care groups, or if you don't have care groups, groups. Give them these questions. Let them soak into the Scripture and seek after it. They're, you're going to have accomplished so much more than had you just stood up and lectured for a half hour on that passage. Um, you, they, see, they don't, they don't get to interact with the pastor. They get to interact with you. Right? Yes? I thought Yes. Yes. I don't like that No, but it's incredible. LifeWay bought that. They did buy that serendipity Bible. I still have one, and they bought one and give it away. It's incredible. Serendipity Bible, basically. You could. If anybody needed you to lead a Bible study, you could take that. You could take a passage. Right there were questions to get them going and to go start thinking through those those things. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway. Do, yeah, I know. I, I'll have to check. I don't know. I, yeah, I know. I remember the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Remember, it's not all about just developing your teaching points. And number four, it's not even all about Sunday mornings. Now, what in the world am I talking about here? Well, Lifeway has found out through their studies that people who used to attend every week nationally now attend three times a month. The people who were around twice a month often now show up once a month. Attenders who used to come once a month are now showing up maybe a dozen times a year. And those people who were infrequent attenders now no longer come. That's happening across America. It's because what happens is that we are so wired 24-7, they are looking for somewhere in their week that they can have margin. They're finding that Sunday morning or not. We're finding that uh, base traveling sports programs, do y'all have much traveling sports in your neck of the woods? It's consuming families, consuming them. If you agree to traveling sports, you know, the parents hope that, and I'm not saying they're evil or bad, but they're hoping their kid can get good enough to get a free ride to college. And a lot of them are just burning their kids out. But as a result, they're kind of selling their souls to the, to the ball field. And while I coached my kids and we were very athletic, uh, you know, there's a lot competing now for Sunday mornings. Tom Rayner says that simply stated the number one reason for the decline in church attendance is that members attend with less frequency than they did just a few years ago. Now, at first that sounds obvious, but it's not obvious. What this means is that your church, traditionally we always look at your average weekly attendance and your giving. Those are two of the big gold standards. Average weekly attendance and giving. Now, average weekly attendance is no longer that gold standard because you, your average attendance may have dropped and you may be reaching more people now, ministering to more people than you were. I've started doing different studies because my background, I, I'm into metrics and stuff. So I play with metrics, and so I've found that if I look 
over the period of a month instead of average weekly attendance, I can look at the unique attenders during that month. How many people actually came during the month? So how many people, you know, it shows that your class has 10 people in it, but over the course of a month, you had 20 people attend it. And I found that in my church, that's about it. Average attendance is 50% of unique attenders. As I was studying last quarter, I saw that my, my uh, young married couple's attendance was down. I went and pulled the unique attenders, found that I was up 12% in those that I was reaching and who were attending. But when sickness, when bad weather, senior adults, this hits your senior adults a lot like with bad weather, they stay at home because of bad weather, can't get out, or cold weather and so forth. That drops your weekly attendance, but you didn't lose them. In the course of a month, they still come. Young, uh, young parents, when their kids, and it's in flu season, or they got runny noses, they start keeping them at home, or whatever, whatever. So this is a major trend, is that people attend less frequently now than they used to. Yet, the purpose of the Sunday school teacher is to make disciples. That's, that's the bottom line. Your, your role is not to teach. It is to make disciples. So I hate the fact that we call y'all teachers because I, I, I would come close. I'm going to, before I retire one day, call my teacher something different that reflects what they do. I don't know if that's coaches. I don't know. If y'all have any ideas, let me know. Leaders. Leaders. Well, leaders is actually a good one. You know, I've already recoined, and and probably 90% of the larger churches around the nation have changed from Sunday school to life groups. And you think facilitators? Facilitators? Yeah. yeah. You're a little more than you know, a facilitator. Go back to this this uh, this thought, this paradigm shift that you're talking about. Yeah. The average attendance versus. The, the number you have in, uh, that you're reaching. How, how is this research going? The only ever tr- true nugget I come up with, and I, I boy, I've remembered this. Yeah. The teacher hadn't taught until the student has learned. The student has learned until his or her actions have changed. Yeah. So how are we making change in people's lives? Now, I understand, you know, we present the word, the Holy Spirit does the convicting, God does the changing. But we got a party in that. Okay, well, actually what he just said is right what this point is all about. Your job is making disciples. It's seeing people who, who live it out. Disciples are made not just Sunday mornings, seven days a week. So it shouldn't just hinge on them coming to Sunday morning or not. Now, here's what I mean by that. So, I've got a guy, for example, um, that we just led to Christ in my young class, and he's got PTSD. He's a vet from Afghanistan. He's disabled. He had an IED blow up. He's got some brain damage. He's all tatted. The first Sunday he walked in, he said, I introduced myself. He said, I'm Justin. He said, it's probably first and last time you'll see me. I'm like, good to meet you, Justin. He said, my wife's been trying to get me to come out here for three years, and I finally did, and this is going to be the last time. I'm like, well, great. It's not good to have you, brother. (laughs) I promise you. Uh, Well, just so happened that Justin came back the next week. 
And then, just so happened, I spent Wednesday morning, 6.45, Chick-fil-A. I spent time with like four to six, seven guys, those young guys. It's life on life. Talking about what's going on in their life. Talking about how their walk with the Lord is doing. Are they being the man of God in their home? Well, Justin found out we were doing that. He came to it. And so, regardless of whether... Those guys show up on Sunday morning. The latest trend, at least in Atlanta, is that these 20 and 30-somethings are buying campers. And on weekends, they're going camping because it lets them disconnect from technologies and be alone, away from everything with just their family. I mean, I can't fault them for that. The cool thing is, if I've got guys in travel baseball with it, they have traveling is that thunder? Lord, I'm being honest right now. I haven't said nothing. I wouldn't say it, brother. That was a big, that was some thunder right there, baby. Woo! Wow. Boy, howdy. Woo! Gee whiz. Boy, that was, that'll, that'll get your attention. Woo! I did too. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So, come Wednesday morning. They have traveling T-ball league now. T-ball. Traveling. Traveling. How do you travel T-ball? Anyway, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Somebody in our class, their kid's traveling T-ball. Right, okay. Is that for the kid or for the parent? That's what I want to know. Anyway, if I have some of those guys out on Sunday morning, Wednesday morning, they'll be there at Chick-fil-A. This summer, we took the summer off to start again. We're going to start again right after Labor Day. Justin is, is, is keeps... Facebook messengering me, just he keeps saying we need to get together on Wednesday mornings. We need to get together on Wednesday mornings, and uh, he's just pestering me about it. And so what happens is that um, we have to realize that disciple making goes outside of Sunday morning. It goes out of, outside of you just teaching a lesson. It's seven days a week. It's life on life. What does life on life mean? It's not just in a classroom setting. It's like where you live, right? I mean, it's just face-to-face. It's just like, you know, we're not dressed up for church. We're not sitting in the classroom. We're sitting here talking. He's talking about travel ball. Yep. My husband's a pastor, and he pastored this little country church, and all around us was deer hunting. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. I know where you're going. The and deer hunt. Got where they didn't come. That's it. Oh, yeah. You can tell when deer hunting season so starts. The very first Sunday yep. of deer season, he started having what they call camouflage Sunday. Yes. And he said, if you want to go deer hunting before it's time to go to church, yeah. you go to church. You go deer hunting and come right on the church in your camouflage. Hey, there you go. And he, he cooked deer chili for them. Did he really? I love it. But you know how many we'd have? How many? The first Sunday he did that, we had 50 men show up. Whoa! That's from Brunswick, uh, uh, Georgia, St. Simons, wow. Florida. No way. We put signs all around, you know. Wow. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, so, listen, I, I think you've got to understand. Yeah, yeah, I, I hate that. I want them to prioritize Sunday mornings more. I got to be honest, so if I've got a family who's trying to go camping so that they can spend more time together, Rather than gonna, their marriage going to fall apart and those kids are going to, their lives are going to be ruined. So, but listen, here, here's, here's the other thing. 
the number one factor, Lifeway has come out very clear just within the last, this, this year, past year. Number one factor, if somebody's going to grow spiritually, is do they read the Bible every day? Now, which means that, well, here's the question. Okay, let's, so you know that now. So, if you know that you're the Sunday school teacher, which most of you are, and uh, many of your people are not going to be there Sunday morning, but you're trying to make disciples. You're trying to get them where they read the Bible on their own. They're not just on their own without you, without the preacher. What are things you can do that would help promote that? What are things you can do to help promote that? I think that's where we're landing right now because you are a master discipler is what you end up being. Whew, that sounds heavy, but it's the truth. You're a master discipler. You are creating disciples and, and your lesson is one piece of it, but it's got to go further than that. What do you do and where can you go with it? Well, let me wrap up with the last one. It's not about those things. It is all about your heart. All about your heart. We know 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord doesn't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart, right? We know that. Uh, Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and your mind. I want you all to look at this, and I'm going to close on this one. This first time somebody taught this to me, it just went in my heart. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Guys, we should never go in to teach people that we haven't been on our knees before the Father on their behalf. Part of my preparation in coming to teach you all this week, I've been praying for the people who were going to be here. Not knowing who you were, I've been praying for you because I know God, Jehovah Nisi, our banner, He goes out before us. And I wanted Him to go ahead and be doing something in me and you so that you could take one nugget from our time together. Just one nugget that you could use in your life. And this says that you're not failing the student by not praying for them. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray. That's how important it is that you're on your face before God on behalf of the people that He has given you to disciple. You're a steward of those people in their lives. That's a big responsibility, but man, it's the most exciting thing in the world. When I see Jason, and, and, and uh, I just, um, uh, a, a good friend of mine gave him a new Bible and started him reading through the book of John, and now I get a message from him during the day, and he'll ask me about this verse in John, and he doesn't have a clue. And his mother and dad came for our Christmas Eve services because they wanted to see the type of church that could reach Justin. <laughs> I was touched with that. They were blown away. He got sent off to school and high school because he was such a hellion and everything else. And um, so it's about the heart. It's about praying. Well, let's close in prayer. Father... It is such an honor to serve you. You you didn't you don't really even need us. I mean you could do it all without us, but you chose to call us and to use us. 
and uh, thank you for each person here. Just the fact that they have gone to the trouble of being here today, and they want you to just show them something, just teach them one thing that would make a difference. Father, show them what that is, and uh, may they have a tremendous ministry. You know, I've been praying to you, Lord, that whatever I say, that something would go back to, with them and their church and would make a difference in another Justin's life in their church. So uh, reach people through us, Father. Go with us now. Help us as we go into the other breakout groups and may they be meaningful in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being a part.